time of the year. We got Gospel 101 coming up, getting mentors, you know, uh, uh, school mentoring stuff going on, ways to serve in our ministry. Super glad that you guys are getting plugged in here. If you're new here, uh, we are also super glad that you are here. It's never too late to continue to get plugged in. So thank you for joining us here tonight. My name is Trent Elliott, and I'm the director of Salt Company here in Cedar Falls. Guys, tonight we're going to be getting a new series, and it's a series that will take us through the entire rest of the semester. And that's what we like to do at Salt Company. We like to open up our Bibles. We like to hear from the Word of God. We think that it is powerful. We think that it speaks to us uh, even today. And the book that we're going to be opening up to this semester is the book of Matthew. The first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, follows the life of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at a specific portion of this book a specific portion, a famous sermon that was given. In fact, it was probably, some will say, the greatest sermon that was ever given. I'm not insecure about that because it was written by Jesus himself, preached by Jesus himself. So it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in Matthew chapter 5. Now this is pretty on, early on in Jesus' ministry. Just to give a little context here. His ministry has already begun. He started to spread his message. And he's going around, he's starting to talk about the kingdom of heaven that he's bringing. That's this message that he's going around. And we see this uh, highlighted throughout the book of Matthew, this kingdom of heaven. Matthew 4, 17, right before the sermon, Jesus preaches, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus starts talking about this kingdom that he's bringing. You might be thinking like, wow, like that sounds intense. Like, like I, you know, like you're, what, this, this is big talk. You're talking about like a kingdom that you're bringing here. And that's like what the people at the time would have thought too. See, the Jewish people, they had a belief that one day that the kingdom of God would come, but they had a very specific view of what that would look like. They envisioned it would come through this promised Messiah, this great warrior-like figure who would come and help them defeat all of Israel's enemies, all of the Jewish people's enemies, and we'd lead them to military victories and would establish this great and big and powerful and strong kingdom. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, This normal-looking guy wearing sandals, talking about the kingdom of heaven, they're kind of taken back, right? And we read about a few people who who have had these interactions with Jesus where they've come to believe in him. They're called his disciples, but most of the people are just falling around him. They're trying to figure out, okay, who is this Jesus guy? Like, what is this kingdom that he's talking about? That's where we pick up to the sermon. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 4 right before the sermon starts to give us a little more context. It says, now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them. All right, so that's, that's the scene. He's going to start his sermon here in a second. Jesus has gone up into the mountain. He's followed by crowds, but his disciples are the ones who draw closest to him. And he begins to teach them about this kingdom that he's talking about, life in the kingdom of God. And what we're about to see throughout this sermon series is that the things that Jesus is going to teach them 
about his kingdom is extreme, were extremely countercultural to what the Jewish people believed at the time of what it would look like. And the place that Jesus starts that we're going to look at tonight is the question, who is blessed in the kingdom of God? Who is blessed in the kingdom of God? And this word blessed is a word that we're going to see repeated nine times throughout this passage called the Beatitudes. Nine statements of blessing, of who is blessed in the kingdom of God. Now, for a lot of us guys, blessed, that's just like a very Christian-y word without a lot of meaning. You know, something you say, bless you when someone sneezes, or like hashtag blessed, throw that on the Instagram post. Like that's, that's, but what does blessed mean here? Blessed here can also be translated as happy. So who is blessed in the kingdom of God? Another way of saying that is, who's happy in the kingdom of God? Or maybe even another way of saying it is Jesus. Like you're coming to talk about your kingdom and the way of life in there. Another way of asking is, what is the good life in the kingdom of God? What is the good life? That question right there is really the question we're going to be asking tonight. This is the question that Jesus is going to answer. What is the good life? And the one way to answer this is through that, that same question is the good life is the life lived in the kingdom of God. That's what we're going to see. But what Jesus is going to do is he's going to give us nine statements, the Beatitudes or the blessings, is how is that translated, of what life looks like in his kingdom. What is the good life in the kingdom of God? And so as Jesus tells us what the good life in his kingdom is, that's the question I want each of us to wrestle with tonight. It's the question that every single person really that's ever existed has had to wrestle with. What is the good life? What do I believe the good life to be? Like if you had to be honest with yourself right now, like what you truly believe the good life is, you think through, okay, the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years of my life, what do I want my life to be about? Like what, like is, what do I want to be a part of it? What words do I want to describe it? Like, what is the good life to you? Literally write those down. Like, if you had to, like, go through that imagination, like, in, in your mind, like, what would you say is the good life? What are some of those words that come to mind? Maybe for you, it's the American dream, right? A nice job, a family, a white picket fence, golden retriever with a lake house, church on the weekends. Good life. Picture. You can see it right there. For maybe, for you, maybe it's experiences, I want to travel the world. I want to see a lot of things. I want to live life to the fullest. Maybe that's what you write down. For you, maybe it's career advancement, gaining power and achievements and rising to the top of the corporate ladder. For you, maybe it's the difference you can make in this world. You want to leave the world better than you found it. For me, some of you, maybe you're like middle school Trent. Uh, one week I got the flu, and my parents quarantined me in the upstairs attic where my Xbox 360 was. And I played Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, the best Call of Duty game to ever exist, for four days. Yep, yeah, let's go, Brock, for four days in a row. And I was convinced, like, as my parents were, like, bringing me food, I was playing video games all day. I was like, man, this is the life. This is the good life. This is what I want my life to be about. And then uh, it was like day four when like all the food they'd brought up to me, I'd never brought back down. So it was like getting moldy. It was getting bad. And so I was like, okay, maybe it's not. But for a moment there, I was like, that's the good life. Maybe that's you. It's like, man, just playing video games, just whatever I want to do. Guys, philosophers have given so much thought to this question. What is the good life? 
Socrates and Plato argued the good life is the moral life, the virtuous life. Ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus, I had no idea if I'm saying that right, said the good life is all about maximizing pleasure. Whatever you can do to maximize your own pleasure. Aristotle argued the good life is the happy life. And there are a number of objective conditions that you have to be met to ex- experience this, like happiness, and, er, uh, happy, yeah, happiness. They're like virtue, health, and prosperity. Uh, maybe you know the ancient philosopher, another one, the Zach Brown Band, has a more simple approach to the good life. He says, you know, I like my chicken fried, cold beer on a Friday night, a pair of jeans that fit just right. In the radio, uh, like my country accent there. <laughs> the simple life, that's the good life. Just no worries in the world. I got everything I need right here. Last one. Or maybe for you, it's according to every, you agree with every single mom's uh, house decorations. The good life. Live, laugh, love. <laughs> Guys, everyone is asking the question, what is the good life? And everyone has a lot of opinions on how to achieve it. How do I get it? But are those things the good life? Is that what it is? Money, power, comfort, ease, pain, avoidance. What is the good life? Well, tonight as Jesus paints the picture of what life in his kingdom looks like, what a life of following him looks like, he's going to tell us what the good life is. And it's not what the world would expect. So let's look together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For this is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so we're going to go back through these more slowly, but I want to first talk about the kind of big picture of what's going on. So I think two big things are happening as Jesus lists off these blessings. Like I said earlier, first, Jesus is describing the good life, right? He's describing life in the kingdom of God, the life of following him, the attributes of people who follow him. He's saying, if you want to know the road to the flourishing life, here it is. Like, I'm bringing it to you. But he's also doing a second thing. Jesus is doing another thing. In, in showing the good life, in showing what life in the kingdom of God is, is like, he's also critiquing what the world says is the good life. The life that Jesus presents is so clearly the opposite of what the world kind of believes at the, the time. He's also making points. He's critiquing that. He's saying that's not the good life. So that's what he's doing. So let's go back through each of these more slowly, comparing what Jesus has to say about the good life and what the world often has to say. So first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So Jesus starts off by describing who 
is, who, who possesses the kingdom of heaven? Heaven. Who, who is in my kingdom? And the person that Jesus describes as possessing the kingdom of heaven is the complete, uh, would have been complete shock to those people at the time. Who's in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says it's the poor in spirit. Okay, notice it doesn't say just the poor here, right? He's not just talking about a financial poverty here, though Jesus does care for those who are financially poor. He's talking about a spiritual poverty. You see, Jesus is critiquing the religious world at the time, right? At the time, it was filled with performance-based living. See, God does care about how we live, and he's given us commands, but people were turning God's commands into a competition, right? Our personal, basically turning them into personal accolades, which they could achieve. For many of them, it turned into almost like a spiritual economy where you had the groups like the Pharisees, who did all of the rules to the best of their ability and felt really proud of themselves. They looked down on people who couldn't follow the religious rules like they could. They felt themselves to be spiritually rich. They took God's commands and they made it about them, thus breaking the first command, you shall have no other gods before me. Because they were worshiping themselves in the name of worshiping God. They looked godly on the outside when they showed up, but they weren't godly. Here's a thought experiment for you. If you were to die on your way home tonight, please don't die on your way home. But if you were to die on your way home tonight, and you were to go before the God of the universe, and he asked you, based on your life and how you lived it, should I let you into heaven? What would you say? I know what the Pharisees would say. They'd say, of course, like, look at all I've done. I can list off. I was better than them. I was better than them. I was better than them. Like, look at all I've done. Yes. Is that what you would say? Or maybe you would say, hey, I know, God, I know I'm not perfect. I know, I know I didn't do everything right, but I tried. I tried to, you know, I went to church. I tried to be a good person. If you weigh my good, you weigh my bad. Like, I think my good probably outweighs my bad. I think you should let me in. Guys, Jesus gives a warning to those who think they're spiritually rich later in, in this sermon. Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to read it. Verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Guys, for many of us, religion becomes about good works, about me trying to be impressive to others and earning my way to heaven. But Jesus says there's no blessing in this life. This is not the good life, always trying to impress others. But blessed is the person who is poor in spirit, who recognizes that they are spiritually bankrupt, that they have spiritually nothing to offer to God that it's only through God's grace that they can be rescued. Blessed is this person, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And notice it doesn't say the kingdom of heaven will be theirs. It says it is theirs, meaning that already they are part of God's kingdom and they're starting to experience that blessing. Would you consider yourself poor in spirit? Let's go to the next one. We'll go a little quicker. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Okay, guys, right away, this one seems odd. Like, 
Imagine that you're one of Jesus' disciples. He call, he's called you to like start this kingdom with him. You're like, okay, great. We're going to start this kingdom with the kingdom of God. We're gonna, like, I'm going to grab my sword. I'm going to grab my shield. Like, okay, Jesus, like, like, what do we do? He says, blessed are those who mourn. You're like, what? Like, I don't know. This is like emo Jesus. Like, what's going on here? I don't know if that was going to work. Hey, emo Jesus, I thought it was funny. <laughs> Guys, at first glance, like, this almost seems contradictory, right? Jesus is almost saying, happy are those who are sad. Like, that's kind of like, he's like, blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who are sad. Maybe you're like, how does, like, how does that make sense? Happy are those who are sad. But the type of sadness that Jesus is talking about here is sadness over the reality of brokenness in this world and sin in our hearts. The broken reality that we all know exists. Guys, we know it exists. Like there is sin in our hearts. We know there's brokenness around us. Relationships, broken relationships, divorce, disease, sickness, death. There is brokenness. The world says, guys, blessed is the strong person who faces adversity. The one who says, hey, they don't, I don't get sad. I endure through. That pain is only weakness leaving the body. Or they just accept that this is how things are. You just tough it up. That's life. You get through it. That's just what it is. Jesus says that's not just the way it is. Things are not supposed to be this way. In fact, in John chapter 11, Jesus' good friend Lazarus dies. And what do we, we get to the, the shortest verse in our Bibles, John 11 verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. Isn't that crazy? The God of the universe weeping for his friend that he just lost, mourning, And it's interesting because Jesus knew that he was going to soon raise Lazarus from the dead, right? And that's, spoiler that's like what happens in the story. He raises his friend back from the dead. But that future hope and comfort didn't change the reality that there was a real and present pain that came with living in a broken world. The same is true today. Blessed is the person who looks at their own sin, who looks at the brokenness in this world around them and weeps over the fact that things are not how they're supposed to be. But blessed, happy is this person because their hope is not in this world, but in the comfort that comes in Jesus. Okay, next one. Number three, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Guys, the world likes to talk about humility as a desirable virtue, but oftentimes it rewards pride. Right? It's not blessed are the humble, but blessed are the proud. Blessed are the popular. Blessed are those with the perfect Instagram life, and a lot of followers, those who have something to offer. But Jesus said, blessed are the humble, who aren't so concerned with what everyone else is concerned about, with popularity or gaining approval, for they will inherit the earth. Isn't it interesting how pride and insecurity work together? Guys, pride is so prevalent. It's prevalent in my life. It's prevalent everywhere. Isn't it interesting how pride and insecurity work hand in hand? Because when you have pride, you need to protect it. It's you're constantly aware of, of where you stand with others. You're trying to protect it. You have a lot to risk. So you're always stressing, trying to build your little kingdom. But in the end, they get nothing. The proud get nothing. The constant struggle to gain the world. But you end up with nothing. But the humble person is the one who will inherit the earth. Next one, blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Guys, that language of hunger and thirst, like it's a physical, like uh, uh, 
imagery there. Like we know what it, what it feels like to be really hungry. As I'm telling you, when I, whenever I, I, I teach, like I usually have a light meal before this. And so afterwards, like I get done teaching, I'm like, I need a McDouble right now. And that's my go-to. And I know it's a slightly below average burger, but in that moment when you're hungry, man, it is like the best thing in the world. You guys, yeah, I see so many people nodding right now. They're like, yeah, it is. It's amazing. Like, it's like literally like in that moment, like there's nothing more than I want than a McDouble. Hunger and thirst. In that moment, it's the only thing you want. What do you hunger and thirst for in life? What is the thing that you want more than anything else? It's like, man, if I can only get this, if I can only get this, then it will be right. Then I'll have what I need. Guys, people hunger and thirst for a lot of things. Money, sex, relationships, the thrill of the party, popularity, approval, significance. That is what I want more than anything else. And if I can just get that, if I can just get that, then I'll have what I want. But Jesus says, blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Meaning who desperately desire more than anything else. The thing that they long for is a right relationship with the God of the universe. In a life lived for him. These are the people who will be filled. Everyone else will be left empty, constantly hungry and thirsty for more. They'll get that one thing they want and they'll realize it's not enough and they'll want more. Never quite able to quench the hunger and thirst. Next, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. As our world says, cursed are the merciful. Because if you give mercy to someone and forgiveness to someone, you lose power over them. So don't just hand out mercy. Or if you're going to give them mercy, at least make them earn it. At least make them pay for it. At least make them give you something in return. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be the ones shown mercy. Next, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Our world doesn't value a pure heart, solely devoted to worship. God says you also need this and that. You can have Jesus if you want, if that's good for you, but you also need this. You You need Jesus plus the life you want. You need Jesus plus the sin that you don't want to give up. But Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Next, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Our world says, blessed are the argument winners. Guys, it's election season, unfortunately. Can we just get a collective sigh? Man, yeah, sucks. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I growing up, like I didn't hate ele- like politics as much. I feel like it's just gotten way worse. And everyone's like, no one looks forward to it. If you do, good for you, but you're a small minority there. Guys, if you need any, any proof that our world thinks to bless is the argument winner, just like watch like any presidential election or any, any presidential debate. Right? It's literally all about how can I push others down, win the argument, whatever the cost. Like, this is what our culture is like. We're just arguing over literally everything. Check out social media. Like, go and you'll literally be able to find people dividing, dividing, and divisive. One of the uh, areas of Instagram I didn't even know was so divisive, but I learned since becoming a parent, is parenting Instagram. Don't go to the comment section. It is a war feel. Like, literally, don't go there. Literally, just moms just hating on each other. So it's, it's evil. It's terrible. 
Guys, people are always arguing. People are always trying to win the argument. This is what the world says. Blessed is the argument winners, but Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Next, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And he expands on this last one. He kind of personalizes it, turning directly to his disciples, almost looking them in the eyes, because he knows that they will soon face persecution for his name. He says, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For this is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Guys, this is maybe the most shocking one of all to me. How many of you, when I asked earlier to write down or think about what the good life is, wrote down being persecuted and being insulted? Not the first thing that comes to mind. Right? The world says to avoid as much pain and suffering as possible. But Jesus says you are blessed when you experience pain and suffering for my sake. Your happiness increases. But it's not just a future happiness that we can have. It's a present one. Jesus says, be glad and rejoice. In the present tense, he says that. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is in heaven. We can have a present joy no matter the circumstances because of a future reward. Guys, it blew me away in college when I started reading my Bible. I started reading about the life of Paul. Right, a man who was persecuted, a man who was thrown in prison, a man who was, who was beaten and stoned. And the joy that he had. I was like blown away. Like, how does this man have this much joy? Because he knew Jesus. His reward is in heaven. Guys, here's the thing. Both paths of life have a reward. Both paths of life have a reward. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of this world, they both have a reward. It's just that one is eternal and the other is temporary. One lasts forever, one lasts for a moment. Because I'm not going to tell you if you choose the life of partying in college that you aren't going to have a lot of friends and have a lot of friends and, may, and have a lot of fun. You probably will. I'm not going to tell you if you work really hard and make a lot of money that you won't be able to buy a big house and live a very comfortable life. You probably will. But there are plenty of rewards out there to be had. But the question is, will it be enough? When you finally get that thing, will it be enough? There's a Christian author, Ray Ortland, wrote an article about these rewards. He calls them the unbeatitudes, the rewards that come when we live the, light, the way the world does. I want to read them. They're going to be up on the screen. He says, Congratulations to the entitled, for the world, this world lies at their feet. Congratulations to the carefree, for they shall be comfortable. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall get ahead. Congratulations to the greedy, for they shall climb the food chain. Congratulations to the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Congratulations to those who don't get caught, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the argumentative, for they shall get in the last word. Congratulations to the popular, for this world lies at their feet. But there are plenty of rewards to be had, right? To live comfortably, to climb up the food chain, to have power, to look good. If that's what you want, 
But that's all the reward is. And that's where it ends. But Christ offers an eternal reward that to those who follow him, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. They'll be comforted. They'll inherit the earth. They'll be filled with righteousness. They'll be shown mercy. They'll see God. They'll be called his sons and daughters. This is the one true reward that lasts. And these promises, they don't change with our circumstances. They don't change with the ups and downs of life. They're secure through life and death. They're eternal. And this is where the good life is found. So how do I get this? How do I get this life? How do I receive this, these blessings, this eternal reward? Because a lot of us might jump to the to-do list way of viewing the Beatitudes. Okay, so you're saying, if I just follow these 10 things, that's how I get into your kingdom, Jesus? Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, the answer is no. So the Beatitudes are not a to-do list. In fact, they're more of a, I can't do this list. We can't do these things apart from Christ by ourselves. Right? If you were to put all of your efforts into trying to perfectly obey these things, you'll quickly find out that you can't. We can't. We're prideful. We have impure hearts. We hunger and thirst for a million other things besides God. And that's the point. We can't. Every single one of us has a bend in our hearts towards the life of sin, towards the life of pride. We think the good life is the life with us at the center. We think we can try and earn our way into God's kingdom, but we can't. We'll fail. Every single one of us. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live. He took the punishment that we deserve so we could experience the reward of heaven. This is the way into the kingdom of God. See, Jesus lived the Beatitudes for us so that we could be part of his kingdom and begin to now live for him forever. Begin to now live in this new way of living. So I want to go back through these one more time, looking at how Jesus lived them first so that we could have the reward. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus, who is spiritually rich, took our spiritual poverty so that we could be welcomed into his kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus, who existed in the heavens for all of eternity, came to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn so that we could be comforted. Blessed are the humble. Jesus, in Philippians 2, I'll let it speak for itself, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he, hum- he emptied himself by assuming the form, of a ser- the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Why? So that we could inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus, who was perfectly filled with righteousness, emptied himself so that we can be filled with his righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Jesus, who, was, who had never sinned once, is perfectly obedient, received the punishment for our sins so that we can have mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus, who was perfectly pure in heart, took the impurity of our hearts so that we can see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus, who had eternal peace with God in heaven, gave up that peace to come to earth to make peace with peace haters like us so that we can be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Jesus, who is perfectly righteousness, righteous, was persecuted for the very ones he came to save. And in return... He says to those who choose to follow him, the kingdom is yours. Jesus lived the life perfectly that we couldn't live. And Jesus says the kingdom can be yours. That's the good news for you tonight. And this is what life in the kingdom looks like. And it's the good life Christians are called to live. And it has an eternal reward. But you can't earn it. You have to receive it. And Jesus wants to give it to you tonight. He wants you to be a part of his kingdom. If you repent of your sin and you call him king, you'll be called his son. You'll be in his kingdom. And it'll begin to produce in you and in all of us Christians new desires, new hungers, new thirsts. will begin to live in the way that he has designed, in the way of the Beatitudes. We can all have life in the kingdom of God. It's available it's the good life. So what life do you want to live? When I was a senior in high school, I had given my life to Christ before, but I had never lived outwardly. I was terrified of living outwardly my faith in high school because of the fear of losing friends or what other people might think, the persecution I thought might come. And so when I got to be a senior, I graduated, and I was heading towards my freshman year of college— I was at a crossroads. I, I was like, okay, internally I'm a believer, but I haven't been living that way. The way I see it, I have three paths that I can live this life. Three paths that I can live my college experience. Path one is I can do what I've continued, what I've been doing throughout all throughout high school. Just continue to fit in. Just fit in with the crowds. That's what you've been doing all throughout high school. Just do that again. And what that looks like in college is, okay, just go to the parties, do what other people are doing, just fit in. And I was thinking about that one for a while. I thought, okay, maybe I'll feel a little guilty if that's the life I live. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to feel guilty if I do that. What if, what if I just put my head in the books? Forget all the popularity. Forget the life that I've been pursuing in high school. What if I just put my head in the books, make my life about career? Make my life about career, money, and I can just live a nice, comfortable life. And then I can make a lot of money, have a nice house. That's what I'll pursue. And the third option, which to me was the scary option, was following Jesus. And it was terrifying to me. And literally that entire summer, I bounced between option one and two. I'd, every night, I'd, I'd think in, in my head at, at night before bed, wrestle with this question. I mean, I'd bounce between one and two. Just fit in. It's what everyone else is doing. It's easy. Just do it. No, that, I'm going to feel guilty. Pursue career. Do this. Bounce between those. Bounce between those. Summer went on, guys, and the Lord started just to work in my heart. Started to show me just that those two paths, they were empty. They didn't lead anywhere. He started to reveal that to me, and it took just one night of faith for me just to say, Lord, this scares me. It scares me, Lord. I don't know like, what this is going to look like. I've never like, lived outwardly for the first, like, ever before. But I want to live in your kingdom. You are worth it. I want to live for you. I just prayed that night, Lord, it, it terrifies me, but help to make my college experience, help to make my life about you. I want you to have it all. 
It was the best decision I ever made. It's the best decision I ever made. Guys, life in the kingdom of God is worth it. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it doesn't come without hardship or persecution. But you have a relationship with the Lord of the universe. And it is good. What life do you want to live? Let me pray. Jesus, I remember the lostness I felt when I was pursuing the things of the world. Lord, I remember, Lord, how they never seemed to satisfy. I always needed more. God, I pray for the person in here who's wrestling with that right now, who's wrestling with that question, what is the good life, Lord, and they're having a hard time believing that it's following you. Jesus, would you show them that you are worth it? God, that you are the God we were designed to worship and to follow, the God that we rebelled against, but the Lord, that you came and saved us through the blood of Jesus, and we can have new and eternal life in you. God, I pray that you'd speak to that student tonight, that you give them the confidence to, during worship, just say, Lord, I'm done pursuing other lives. I'm done pursuing other things, other people. Or what I'm looking for is you. Would they hunger, would they thirst for you, Lord, when they receive your blessing? Tonight, Lord, would they be called sons and daughters because they surrender finally? God, this is the good life. It's not the easy life, but it's the good life. It's the life that you walked first. So, Lord, would we follow you? Would we follow you in it? Lord, thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit for the believers in this room that the life we couldn't live on our own, Lord, we can now live with you. Lord, that you would make us humble people, people who desire you more than anything else, hunger and thirst for you every single day, pure in heart. God, that all of our worship, through persecution, through highs and lows, everything, Lord, would be directed to you until the day we get to experience the reward in its fullest in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen.